At this point, you may think I am overreacting, or you may believe that we should be using these practices for the kingdom of God and redeeming them from darkness. Maybe you agree and understand the sobriety of this observation with concern for others being led astray. Maybe you have found in Scripture that God redeems people and not practices, such as omen reading. Maybe you have freedom and understanding that Christ's atonement once for all redeems us from the curse of the law, which includes generational curses. Maybe you have had dreams and you believe God speaks through dreams. What I want to say to you is this. Our experiences are not the barometer and the foundation of where we start to find the truth. As Christians, our truth is found in the foundation and at ground zero in the Word of God. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Subscribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Subscribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Subscribe. Late last year, I had the privilege and the opportunity to actually start writing articles for Christianity.com. So I've been able to do that, and it's been really helpful for me personally, too, because it it helps me and encourages me to go back to the Word and to go back to reputable sources that agree with the Word of God and to learn more about particular subjects. And the things that we talk about are questions that are presented that people may be interested in. And one of the first ones that I chose was, does God still speak through prophetic dreams? I thought this was appropriate given my background of what I came out of, being in heavily involved in the prophetic movement, and also having a handful of dreams and that seemed significant. And I even will say a week before everything happened to me, there were two dreams that I had. And still to this day, I have no idea if it was God speaking to me. And frankly, it doesn't matter because the dreams didn't save me. It was God's revelation through his word, which is always the standard of truth that brought me back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and brought me back to the truth and helped to open my eyes. It was not the dreams that did it because they never brought full clarity. I found myself recently thinking about this because of the focus on dreams. The fo- the, there's such a heavy focus on dreams in this particular movement. Now, I'm going to say this, and this was one of the things that I wrote in this article, which you can find this article for free. You don't have to pay to read it. It's on Christianity.com, and you can look it up under the search in there of Does God Give Prophetic Dreams? You may find it very helpful to you, but this is the, the opening paragraph. Although scripture does not explicitly state the occurrence or cessation of prophetic dreams today, we can rest assured that the word of God is sufficient for receiving instruction and equipping followers of Jesus Christ for every good work. The word of God is a sure prophetic word, and it is not dependent upon human experiences or man's interpretation and understanding for its validity and sufficiency. Furthermore, any experience that we have is to be tested by scripture and is not to be automatically assumed as extra-biblical communication from God. Now, what I noticed in the prophetic movement, charismatic, hyper-charismatic movement, there is a bend or a tendency to accept automatically whenever you have a dream, a vision, anything that's supernatural in nature, there is this tendency to automatically attribute it to God. There's this automatic tendency to attribute it as God speaking to you, trying to get your attention. Rarely do you hear people, you, you'll, you will hear people say, well, you need to make sure that your dream is, is not something that's related to what you ate the night before, like bad pizza, or if it's God, or if it's from the devil. Now, you will hear people say that. But how many times have you heard someone say, when you tell them your dream, oh, that's just made up? 
you ate something bad the night before or oh that's from the devil a lot of times people will attribute their dreams to God it almost seems as if it's this way of being more spiritual having uh, attained some higher level of authority spiritual clout if you will almost treat it like someone that's a Daniel or an Ezekiel that has these elaborate dreams and focusing a lot on, on angelic visitations and visions and open visions and uh, night visions or dreams is what a lot of people call them. Uh, you'll see different manifestations that are focused on in this movement. You'll see a lot of things that are more supernaturally based. And I talked a little bit about this last week with a conversation I had. And though God is a very supernatural God, and one of the most supernatural things that happens to us as believers is that we are raised from the dead, spiritually speaking. We are dead in our trespasses, and we're brought to life through saving faith in Jesus Christ for the atonement of our sins. That in itself is supernatural and miraculous, and not of our own doing, that we can boast about it. But there can be a tendency to focus on supernatural manifestations. Now, let me say this. I am someone that when I look at the word, I go, yes, God is a supernatural God. There are things that happen beyond my understanding, beyond my comprehension in my finite being and my finite understanding. I still believe in healing and miracles. I, at the same time, I believe that I cannot command God to do those things. It is by his will that those things happen. There are things that happen in the world and in the earth and in medical and such that that are not explainable by our understanding. Now, I get that there's things that, that happen like that. At the same time, it is very unhealthy to be chasing after these things and to be seeking them and always thinking if these things don't happen, that God's not in it. And when I was thinking about the prophetic dreams, visions, and all the other things that were going on, and again, angelic visitations and feathers and gold dust and gems and, you know, the things that you see in, in these types of movements, something clicked in my mind last week when I started thinking about it. I recalled having a dream dictionary, and this dream dictionary was not a secular dictionary. It was actually published by a charismatic publisher. I think it's Destiny Image, if I'm not mistaken, and the book was called The Divinity Code. Now, I no longer have that book. I actually got rid of it. I tossed it because I was really kind of bothered at the fact that I was relying so much on that and I had no desire to use it anymore. So I got rid of it about a year or so ago. And even before that, I quit using it. But this Divinity Code, sadly, I did use it for quite some time because I would find myself for weeks. I mean, I'm literally, I'm not kidding weeks fixating on a dream that I had and trying to recall all the the details of it and I would keep a journal and write these things down because I was told to keep a journal about it and I remember just fixating and mulling over that and obsessing over it trying to figure out what this dream meant and what God was trying to tell me and being so confused about some of the things that they were repetitive in dreams in numbers and colors and all the you know all the all the details I remember fixating on, on and just meditating on those dreams far more than I ever did on the Word of God. I, I mean, I would read the Word of God, but I wouldn't study it like I was supposed to. And so I was more wrapped up in dreams I was having that was not a guarantee it was from God. It was probably more of a distraction than it was anything else, and it brought confusion. It didn't bring any peace. All it did was having me chasing a rabbit. I was chasing one specific thing, and I was not growing as a Christian, as a believer in Christ. I was not spiritually maturing, even though I thought I was, because I was having all these dreams, and some of them were very vivid and very real. 
I remember having a dream within a dream and it seemed very international and, and all these different moving pieces and parts. And I kept trying to figure them out. And I remember spending probably a month or so trying to figure that dream out. And even months after that dream, had recalling things and trying to figure that out. In my opinion, I wasted a lot of time doing that when I could have been reading the word of God and growing in my relationship with Christ in a rooted way that I wasn't being tossed to and fro and I wasn't chasing a rabbit that was causing me to think that I was growing more spiritually. Now I will say this, is God able to, to give somebody a dream? Yeah, God can get, do whatever he wants. But as you'll see, as we talk a little bit about this, we had to take this back to scripture and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute and refer to a little bit of the article that I wrote. Again, you can read that for free. You don't have to pay for it on Christianity.com. But when I started thinking about this dream journal, I had a question that arose in my thinking. And it was this. I wonder if the New Age has dream dictionaries as well. I wonder what's in their section. So I started going online and looking at things on Amazon, trying to figure that out. And honestly, I'm a hands-on type of type of gal. I like to get my hands on things. I like to look at pages. That's the way I am with reading books. I like to get the pages. Even though I have a Kindle, I'm a page type of girl. I like to dog ear. I like to highlight. I like to underline, write notes. So I took a trip to a local large chain bookstore in our area because my curiosity was getting the better of me. And by the end of that visit, that bookstore, I was so frustrated when I left. I just couldn't wait to get out of there. And now it was not because of, you know, afraid that I was going to have some sort of voodoo, something jump off on me in the new age section, which that's, that's superstitious for one thing. And that's a new age type of thought. So we shouldn't be thinking those types of things because those aren't biblical. <laughs> but I really felt uncomfortable in that section because that it just isn't my thing. I don't like to be around stuff like that. I don't like to be around tarot cards. I don't like to be around those things. But I stood in the New Age section and began looking at the books. And I found myself huffing a lot too as I was looking. And I'm thinking, my goodness, all the stuff here that is leading people astray. But then what even disturbed me even more was as a person who was involved in the prophetic movement and some of these things, I was eerily starting to see some books that could have been in this Christian living section in a charismatic section of a bookstore or in Amazon. There were things I saw like dream dictionaries. They had a number of dream dictionaries. And when I opened them up, they looked very similar to the Divinity Code in breaking down certain objects in dreams and visions and what they meant and saying, well, it could mean this or it could mean that. There was nothing definitive. There were close similarities that I also saw that certain things like trees and uh, certain types of birds and things like that, for example, had similar meanings as they did in the Divinity Code. They had colors in there. They highly recommended keep keeping a dream journal. They recommended saying that most of the dreams were about you and that you needed to, you know, not all dreams were to be interpreted, that you had to figure out which ones, which that seems kind of odd to me that you're trying to figure that out. So that seems very subjective rather than objective. So I started noticing some things that were very similar. And I think that that's probably what uh, one of the things that made me the most uncomfortable was being in that section and thinking I'm seeing stuff that if I didn't have a label of new age here and didn't see obvious tarot cards and other things involved, that I would be wondering if I was in a Christian section. 
I was seeing books on uh, numerology, which there's books on biblical numerology. There's books on angelic visitations there. There's book on, books that I've seen in these movements that focus heavily on angels. Uh, there were books on Jesus and about his immaculate conception and talking about it in different religions and talking about Mary. There were numerous books that I saw that were conversations with God. That was another one. It really made me think of the mystical side of wanting to engage in, with God. And when you open these books about the conversations with God, it was someone actually having a dialogue with someone they thought was God and what God was saying back and forth to them. That reminded, I mean, if you were to see that book and you didn't know that you were in the New Age section, you would think that you were in a Christian living section. If you saw a book that said conversations with God, and there were other books that I saw. There was books about uh, essentially breaking generational curses, going back through the bloodline and breaking those curses so that you can be healthy. I remember hearing teachings about that. I would just point you back to Galatians 3.13. That verse in and of itself really was eye-opening to me. And essentially it goes back to Exodus 20. Ezekiel 18, those are good places to read because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because curse is a man who hangs on a tree. And when we look at the law under Exodus 20, uh, Exodus 20 verse 5, I believe, is referring to those that commit iniquity to the third and fourth generation, that God will hate them because they commit this iniquity. And what he's talking about is idolatry because they hate God. And so they will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. But then it goes on to talk about that those who love the Lord will be blessed to the thousandth generation. So sometimes we forget to read past verse five and to see that it's really telling of what's to come for those who are going to be in Christ. It's telling of what's in the future, what's to come of the type and shadow there. Ezekiel 18 talks about that the father will not be responsible for the sins of the son and vice versa. So I just want to help someone today with this. And regardless, if someone wants to argue about it and say and disagree that they believe in generational curses and such, listen, I know that there are curses in the world as far because of this, the fall of Adam, because of sin. But to say that uh, your great-great-grandfather was a 33rd degree mason and that you have a curse on your family and this is why you you battle uh, different diseases in your body or don't have a breakthrough and such that's just not true that actually sounds like witchcraft and I thought that we were not supposed to want to do things like that and we were trying to get away from that so just trying to provide some clarity here because as Christians we are to conduct ourselves as Christians, and we don't need to be adopting certain belief systems that hearken to the New Age, that hearken to the occult, that hearken to worldly ways and understanding. So here I was, back in this bookstore, standing in the New Age section, feeling highly uncomfortable and realizing that some of the things I was seeing was bothersome to me, how to heal ancestors, heal your ancestors to heal your life, how to be spiritual without being religious, conversations with God, biblical or, or just regular numerology. The list goes on and on. And it got me thinking about how much danger there is in adopting some of these things and repackaging them, saying that we can redeem them and we can take them back. But what I really wanted to focus on in this particular thing, this topic here, was actually about dreams, prophetic dreams. This is the thing that, that kicked off this entire topic for me. And when we look at dreams, I want to talk about this today because I think this is very relevant for people that are listening, that you may be digging your heels in and saying, listen, this is how I, I build my relationship with God. He talks to me through dreams. And I would just encourage you with this, is that your foundation in building your relationship with, with Christ 
should begin in the Word of God. That's where that your ground zero should be. It's not your experiences. It's not your truth. <laughs> it's based in the truth of the Word of God. And if your experiences cannot pass the theology test, the doctrine test, in accordance with Scripture, then there's a serious issue there that, that needs to be addressed. It's going to require humility on all of our parts. Uh, there were things that I experienced in these movements that were very real. And I sympathize with people that, that say these things and come out of this and at the, or are still involved in it. At the same time, I say, well, are you testing it? When someone tells me that God said to them, God said this or the Lord said this or that he's grieved by this because he told me this, then I ask them, did you test this? Did you, did you test this against scripture? Did you test this in accordance with the word of God that we know is God speaking? Because our emotions can feed into that and we can, we can start attributing things to God that he didn't say. We can start attributing dreams to God that he never gave. And God is not going to give something that's going to bring confusion because he is not the author of confusion. He's not going to provide a dream that doesn't have an understanding. If, even when you look in scripture, for example, you're going to see there's a pattern there. We do see in scripture, for example, that there are prophetic dreams found in the both in the Old and the New Testament. Uh, we read of various individuals from different social statuses that had these dreams. We see that Jacob had a dream of a ladder and, and the angels descending and ascending in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. Now, let me remind you that the word of God is always pointing back to Jesus Christ. Jesus himself references this in the New Testament when he's talking to them. What Jacob saw was a type and shadow of Christ. Christ was the latter. So we have to keep that in mind and not read something into the text that's not there. So Jacob had a dream. An angel of the Lord came to Joseph, the New Testament Joseph, in a dream concerning Jesus as the son who would save his people from their sins. We find that in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. And he also had a dream concerning the flight to Egypt and the return to Nazareth and avoiding Herod's plan of murder. That was Matthew chapter 2 verse 12 and 13. Now, those dreams were very clear. They were directional. There was no confusion in them. And Joseph was given plain instruction of what to do in order to protect Jesus as the infant. So that way he would be able to grow into manhood and to fulfill what God had purposed him to do in being born into the earth as truly God and truly man was to save the world from their sins. Jacob's son Joseph in the Old Testament not only had prophetic dreams himself, but he interpreted the dreams of fellow prisoners as well as Pharaoh's dream. Now, we see pagan kings, pagan rulers having dreams. We've seen the Pharaoh had the prophetic dream that Joseph interpreted. We've seen King Nebuchadnezzar was given two distinct dreams concerning interpretation from Daniel. King Abimelech had God come to him in a dream warning him of taking Sarah for himself. The Midianite soldier in Judges chapter 7 verses 13 and 15 was given a dream of impending defeat by the hand of Gideon. In Matthew 27, 19, we've seen that Pilate's wife has a dream, and she warns Pilate, saying, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. And again, we see there were prophets, there were kings that were given dreams. King Solomon received a dream. Uh, he asked for wisdom, and God was faithful to honor that. We see that Daniel was given dreams in chapter 7. And it was regarding the four beasts. We also, just as a reminder, 
Sometimes we tend to think that people that have dreams are highly prophetic or highly spiritual. But let me just remind you real quick that false prophets also have dreams. As we see in Deuteronomy 13, this provided awareness and a warning for the people of Israel to not listen to a prophet or a dreamer of dreams whose word or dream came to pass, but instructed them to go after other gods. And we also see that Jeremiah wrote a chapter, Jeremiah 23. It's quite a sobering chapter if you sit and and take time to read through it. But Jeremiah 23 talks about those prophets that have dreams, relying on their dreams. That says, I have heard what the prophets say who prophesied lies in my name. This is the Lord speaking. They say, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesied the delusions of their own minds? You see, even if it seems super spiritual, it doesn't always mean that it's coming from God. It could be someone prophesying something or declaring something from the deceit of their own mind. And it's a delusion. Even Jude warned about this. He talked about that the, those that rely, the false teachers and false prophets, those that rely on their dreams in Jude 8. So this should help us to understand we are never told to rely on our dreams. Timothy was not given that instruction by Paul. This is not a spiritual gift that's found in Corinthians. There is no spiritual gift that's given to those that have dreams and interpretation of dreams. So we have to keep this in context and not use scripture to serve our notions or to serve our beliefs or our feelings or our practices when it doesn't fit. Yes, there were dreams in the Bible. There's a difference between having scripture that is descriptive, that's that's helping us to understand what's going on in the account that's mentioned and being prescriptive, such as the instruction in the epistles of the New Testament that's telling us how to conduct ourselves in a Christian way, how to, how to conduct ourselves, husband and wives, children, you name it. I mean, we, we look in the epistles and we can see that there is instruction that's given. The Acts of the Apostles is descriptive. It is not prescriptive. When we're reading those things, we're reading a historical account in the Acts of the Apostles that is telling us how the early church came to be and what happened and how the apostles conducted themselves and how they ministered the gospel. They wrote out their teachings and began to instruct the New Testament church, the first century church, and that we can glean from that today and moving on and looking at the epistles in order to see, okay, what's the instruction here? How are we to conduct ourselves? How are we to be led by the spirit and not by the flesh? How are we to be holy as he is holy? How are we to glorify Christ and all the things that we do and realize that our lives are hidden with Christ in God? How are we to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ and to follow that example and to understand the scripture in the proper context because if we begin to minister and to say the word of God out of context we bring reproach on the name of Christ we do not glorify God in doing so we are glorifying ourselves in the process by trying to read something into the text that's not there instead of saying how do we how can we glorify Christ in all of this not draw attention to ourselves and truly want to be humble to humble ourselves in saying maybe I am attributing something to God that is not even found in the Bible that's not even prescriptive for me as a believer in Christ maybe I'm adopting something that looks more like the world or more new age than it does in the pages of scripture in the confines of scripture and some people are going to push back And I get that. And they're going to say, this experience that I had was real. Or they're going to say, well, we need to be redeeming these things from from the occult. Where are we told to do that? 
the Bible doesn't tell about redeeming practices. It talks about redeeming people. There's a difference. And if God felt strongly in the Old Testament and gave instruction, strong instruction about the abominations of following after things, if God finds these things to be an abomination in the Old Testament, he's no different in the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. It's not a different God. He does not like those things. There could be a tendency for people to chase after dreams rather than to seek God through his word, through prayer, through corporate gathering, through Bible study, through corporate worship of him, of of doxology, of lifting up his name, of understanding and praising God for who he is, not, not what he can do for me or what he can give me, but realizing that he's paid for my, he paid for my sin. Christ paid for my sin when I didn't deserve it. I didn't merit it. I can't ever merit it. But by his grace and his mercy that I've been given eternal life through belief in in his son and through what he did for me on the cross, for praising and exalting his name, for understanding that true intimacy is developed in studying his instruction, of understanding his instruction, and then understanding that the Holy Spirit indwells me and that I'm to be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. When I hear someone talk about their dreams, they rarely ever point back to Scripture. They're pointing about back to their accuracy. They're pointing back to how many dreams they've had, how many angels they've seen, how many times Jesus has come face to face with them. But they're not pointing back to scripture in context. They're not preaching the gospel. They're not calling people to repentance. And that's what true prophets will do. True prophets that we see in the word, they ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ essentially is what they did. And it was the repent and believe. Turn back to God. Turn away from the things of this world. Acknowledge your sin and turn back to God. The New Testament is repent and believe in the gospel. The good news that has come, the one that has brought victory, that has overcome sin and death and the grave. He's defeated it. He has overcome it. So as we talk about dreams, we need to acknowledge something. There were godly people in the Bible that had dreams, and they were for a purpose. And then there were pagan people, pagan kings and rulers that had dreams, and There were godly people that were provided for them that gave the interpretation, not from their own understanding. They didn't say, hold on, let me get my dream dictionary out and look and see what this beast is or see what this cow means or see what this... these these rods mean or let's go see what, what this specific color of this handwriting is. They didn't do that. They both made it clear, Joseph and Daniel made it clear to the rulers that the interpretation came from God. They had the Spirit of God. The interpretation came from God. They recognized it did not come from their own understanding. And that's one of the questions that I ask when I think about these dream dictionaries. Where is this information coming from? Whether it's from people that say that it's for Christians to understand or from the New Age. Where is this information coming from? How are these people getting these understandings? of what these things mean. And then when you look at it, I got to be honest with you, when I used that book, that dream dictionary, when I used to use one, it brought more confusion and it brought irritation because I closed that book and I would think, I'm no better off than I was before I opened this book. I still don't understand because it's not clear. It's saying, well, it could be this or it could be that. And it provides scripture for it, but it didn't really make any sense why the scripture was provided. And it did, it just did not bring clarity. Then I have to ask, Why was I given this dream if it's not going to provide clarity, if it's not going to provide the direction I need, and it just brings more frustration, more confusion, more 
irritation. Why? And it honestly, I believe they were distractions. They were distractions that were getting me away from understanding how to really be a spirit-led believer, how to really be spiritually mature, and to not think that I was mature because I was having a dream, but I was mature because I was growing in Christ through his word and understanding what it truly means to be spirit-led. And I didn't understand that. And I want to point you back to scripture. I don't have all the answers, but I do know that the word of God is instructive and it will help us. It will guide us and it will not leave us in confusion. So these dreams that they had, you know, we find that, yes, that there were dreams that were helpful, but the fact that we see false prophets and we see those even today, false teachers and false prophets that Jude warns about even in his time that were relying on their dreams, that they were leading people astray, they were clouds without water, they were not helpful, uh, they were not bringing life to true believers, The fact that we find warnings in scripture concerning these is a bit sobering and it should bring pause to us. Even with those who did not know the Lord yet were given true prophetic dreams, we can note here that the dream itself that was given to them, it did not equate God's approval upon the life of that individual. God used the person in the dream for his glory and to display his omnipotence and his omniscience. Now, as we think about Acts 2 and verse 17, Peter, uh, on the day of Pentecost, references Joel 2.28. When you reflect on this particular verse in Acts, what's interesting to me that I noticed when I started digging into the word in this is that there is little mention of the occurrence of dreams in the early church coinciding with this verse. So other than in Acts 16, 9, when Paul has the vision of the Macedonian man that urges Paul to come and help them, there are no other New Testament passages mentioning the occurrence of dreams. And therefore, it would appear that this reference to visions and dreams found in Acts 2, 17 and Joel 2, 28 is referencing a time to come coinciding with the day of the Lord. I've already talked about the fact that we do see the difference between prescriptive and descriptive in our lives, and we need to acknowledge that. Sometimes we tend to conflate things and say, well, everybody should be having dreams. Everybody should be having uh, prophesying. Everybody should be having all these supernatural things happen, but that's not the case. And even when you look at even the Acts of the Apostles, if you, if you will sit down and read it and study it and not just pull out chunks of scripture out of context and to look and see what fits a particular teaching that's going on, you'll note something is that The frequency and the occurrence of miracles, of signs and wonders was not very common. And again, the dreams, that's the only dream I can find in Acts. So those are things to consider when we're looking at this. And when dreams were given by God, one of two things happened when God gave dreams that we see in Scripture. Either the dream required no interpretation, as we saw in Joseph, for example, in the Gospels, with Mary and Jesus when he was given instruction were to take them to protect Jesus from Herod. Um, And they're easily understood by the recipient of the dream. So that's one thing. Either that takes place or an interpretation was required. And as we've already talked about, both Joseph and Daniel made it clear that the interpretation came directly from God who gave the wisdom for such understanding. You can reference that in Genesis chapter 41 verse 16 and Daniel chapter 2 verse 28. No prophetic dream from God resulted in confusion or a lack of understanding. And And when the dreams were given... They had a purpose, they were specific, and they left no room for various meaning or ambiguity. Think about that. 
Uh, we are not instructed in Scripture to seek such experiences in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say this and be very plain about it. If anyone tells you that if you don't have dreams and visions and angelic encounters, if you don't have those that basically you need to question your salvation, you need to not listen to that person ever again, or you need to call them to repent and believe in the true Christ. Nowhere in Scripture are we told, I repeat, nowhere are we told in Scripture to seek after experiences. We are never told to do that, and that is not the hallmark of a true believer in Christ nor is speaking in tongues, nor any other manifestation. The fact that if someone has dreams, visions, angelic encounters, if they have feathers in their house, which I would suggest they look to see if they have any down goose feather pillows that are molting, or if they maybe have any pet chickens or geese on their property. Anybody who's finding loose feathers in their homes, if they're finding gold dust, which um, ladies, let's be honest, I mean, how much of our makeup contains glitter in it these days? Gems on the floor, for one thing, there can be false signs and wonders. Second of all, to tell someone that if they don't have these things, if they don't have some sort of supernatural experience, then they need to question whether they know God or not. That is not biblical Christianity. I say that with sincerity and being also bold. Because if we have to do something or produce something in order to show that we are believers, then that's not Christianity. That's works-based. If someone is telling you that you need to have visions and, and dreams and all these other things to happen, or you are really not growing in with the Lord, and you may not really know the Lord at all if you don't have these things, then they don't understand true biblical Christianity, and that is a works-based religion that has been created. And that does not bring salvation. That does not prove that you know God. Because again, we've seen that false prophets, we've seen that lying prophets, false teachers can have these same similar manifestations as we see in scripture and that does not mean that God is approving of them pagan kings had them does not mean that God approved of them and at the same time we also see that the scripture tells us there will be false signs and wonders there will be strong delusion given to those that maybe even the elect can be deceived by things that happen with false signs false prophets false signs and wonders this is not to, to scare us in any way it's to make sure that we are sober-minded and that we know what scripture says and that we are not blown around by every wind of doctrine. And it should bring great freedom to know that you don't have to have an encounter. You don't have to have a dream or anything else to prove that you are a follower of Christ. What demonstrates your faith in Christ is the fruit in your life that can only be produced by one who is abiding in the vine and has eternal life through Christ alone and from the work that he did on the cross not the work you did, but the work that he did. And to know that you, according to Ephesians 2.10, are God's workmanship and that you are created for good works. You are not saved by good works. You were made for good works in order to glorify your living God who is your Savior and who is the God and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it is his work that makes you able to stand before God. It is his work that is ultimately validating you, justifying you, sanctifying you, and will glorify you in the age to come. So what can we learn from all of this? Well, if you're a person that believes that God still gives dreams, let me say this to you. I don't view you as someone outside of Christendom if you believe and have repented of your sin, if your faith is in Christ alone to save you and give you eternal life, if you believe in the Trinity, that one God, three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 
if you believe in the core foundational principles of Scripture and in the Word of God and the core foundational uh, beliefs in Christianity, then I look at you as a brother or sister in Christ and that we differ on these topics. That's how I view you. I don't view you as a villain or someone that is an enemy of the cross or anything like that. I view you as a brother or sister in Christ and wanting to give some counsel, some godly advice. And that is this. If you're someone that believes that God still gives dreams, I would strongly encourage you that you need to be testing everything that's outside of Scripture, extra biblical revelation, taking it back to Scripture, and that you need to do as what James 1.5 tells us is to ask God for wisdom in all matters. Because... There are several places that you'll look that will tell you that it's an impossible to say definitively whether or not God gives prophetic dreams to people a day. And when I look at scripture, I can't find any place that says that he's quit doing that. Now, some people that do believe that, and there are some people that don't believe that, and there's both believers in Christ. But we need to make sure that ultimately what it comes down to is this, and this is the counsel that I would give, is that dreams and experiences are not the final authority. You know, I mentioned to you a little bit ago near the beginning of this, I had a couple of dreams a week before, and I don't talk about it a whole lot. I talked to very few people about it because when I was coming out of what I did, I realized that I was putting way too much emphasis on the experiences I was having, and I knew that I was spiritually malnourished and deficient in my understanding of Scripture. And when I think about those dreams now, I have zero desire to delve into those and to look and to try to break them down and dissect them and figure out what they mean because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The dreams didn't save me. Christ did. The dreams were confusing even after I left a few months later. I still didn't understand them and I still don't fully understand them except maybe they were warnings. Who knows? But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What matters is I'm growing as a believer in Christ. What matters is you're growing as a believer in Christ. What matters is, is that we are glorifying God in all that we do, in everything we say, in everything we do in our actions, that we're pointing people back to him, that we're ministering the gospel, and that we are exalting him in our lives and that we're wanting to truly be spiritually mature and understanding that these things don't mark you as a spiritually mature person. In fact, I would argue that people who rely on their dreams and visions to guide their lives and and such, that is the opposite of being spiritually mature. And I don't say that in a way to insult anyone, but rather to wake wake us up to the fact that we do not follow our heart, we do not follow our experiences, we do not follow our feelings, we we do not follow and set the foundation for what we know to be truth as Christians based on anything that contradicts scripture, that negates scripture, does not point back to Christ, that is pointing back to experiential things, and that is elevating the experience and the supernatural things occurring above the gospel and above Christ himself. There is a very great danger in this. This is why I'm sounding an alarm And why it seems strange of standing in a new age section in a bookstore to figure this out and to say, when things start start looking like the world in in certain circles of Christianity, and 
you can't really tell the difference between New Age and those circles of Christianity, then Houston, we have a problem because because that is conforming to something that we were not supposed to conform to and adopting things to try to, whether it's to, tr- to draw people in or, you know, this craving for the supernatural that, that is inside all of us, wanting the more, wanting, wanting more than just reading our Bibles and wanting more of this and more of that. Why isn't, why isn't what God provided sufficient? Is the question, we, if we want to ask a question, why don't we ask that question? Why is his word not sufficient? Because that is God speaking. Why is me being spiritually mature and never having another dream again, never having another vision again? If I never had another dream or vision, according to people that, that hold to this belief, that still hold to it, would you consider me a believer in Christ? Would you consider me spirit-filled? Because if you don't, if you wouldn't, then that's negating scripture. If, you, if, if I never have another dream or vision ever again, I'm okay with that. Because my salvation is not based on that. My spiritual maturity is not based on that. My salvation is based in Christ. My faith is based in Christ. When we talk about faith, faith is based in our belief in Christ to save us. It's not in our faith to let him do whatever he wants to do or give him permission. When we say that God needs our permission, we've created a God of our own imagination. And he's not the God of the Bible if he needs our permission. And I want to just leave you with those thoughts and say, seek wisdom in all things. Be humble. Be repentant. If you realize that you've been in error, that that there are things that you've believed that you can't find in Scripture, you can't find support to back those things up in context, be humble. Be repentant. Find people you can talk to that are going to encourage you, and they're also going to challenge you to grow biblically in the Word and to know what it means to be spiritually mature and to know what it means to be led by the Spirit. To recognize that there is the greatest supernatural thing that's ever happened to us, guys. And we can find this in the pages of the Bible. We can find this when we're praying to God and thanking Him for for saving us, for redeeming us is that there was a supernatural thing that happens when we repent of our sins and Christ makes our heart of stone into a heart of flesh and that he saves us and he brings this dead man to life. He brings the dead to life spiritually. What could be more powerful than that? What could top that? Our salvation that he gives to us, that's his work, and that we get to rest in him and that we get to glorify him in this life, in this life where we suffer and there's things that happen to us and we, we get to glorify him in everything. And then we get to spend eternity with him without the sorrow, without the suffering, without the pain and to be glorified before him, to be in our glorified state and to glorify him and to continue to worship him and, and glorify him and serve him for all eternity. I can't imagine a more supernatural thing than that. And we're not going to top that. No dream or vision or anything else is ever going to top that. Meditate on that today. Meditate on what he's done for you and how he raised you from the dead spiritually. When you were dead in your trespasses and dead in your sin. And he raised you up to be co-heirs with him. Not to think highly of ourselves, but to think highly of him. He's what it's all about. It's all about him. This, this entire walk with God, it's about him. So don't think you have to have another dream, another vision or anything else to be super special, to be super spiritual or to prove your salvation. That doesn't prove anything.
It's the fruit in your life that testifies of him and glorifies him. I hope this blesses you. I hope it gets you thinking. If you want to send me messages, feel free to do so on Facebook. You can find me on Lovesickscribe. You can find me on Instagram on Lovesickscribe. You can email me at uh, dawn at lovesickscribe.com. If you want to disagree with me, please be loving and <laughs> brotherly or sisterly in Christ. And I'm willing to have tough conversations with people, but I'm always going to point back to scripture. Just be aware of that. That does not mean I worship the Bible. It just means I recognize it for the foundation that it is in my life and that the parameters that God created himself and the boundaries for us as believers in order to protect us and to keep us on the narrow path. Be blessed today. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at Lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.